it's more than just a king you are more than everything so much more than a perfect day you are more than i can say and my words just fail me when i think of where i might have been if you had not changed my way on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Jesus, you are stronger, more than any other. 
It's like a two-minute party. I get to see my people again, and, and uh, sometimes I forget that I've got to come up here. It's like my favorite line on Sundays, i got to go to work. But I hadn't seen Donna Bustler in a week, so I had to talk to her. So is that okay? It gets so quiet out there, and it's so scary. Did you have a good week? It felt like winter here. If you look at the trees, my favorite thing about the end of January is if you look at the trees, they start to bud. So winter's about over. That's right. And then we'll go right from winter to air conditioning again so it's so good to see you here this morning welcome to Carpenter's Way for those who are watching on the internet we're glad to have you watching uh, we are uh, honored to have you with us would you open your worship guide tons of stuff going on I got to meet some visitors this morning and we're we're awfully glad to have you visiting with us um, Carpenter's Way we study the Bible that's what we do uh, most weeks we just open we're, we're in the middle of a study on on Jesus from the Gospels, we're taking all four Gospels and putting them in chronological order and studying the life of Jesus in an effort to discover who Jesus of the Scriptures is, not Jesus of the church or 
Jesus of the Baptist Church, or Jesus of the Methodist, but who is Jesus from the Scriptures? And we're very excited about that. Although this week we're taking a break because this morning we're kicking off a month. Uh, we started this last year, but we take one month every year and we emphasize missions. Carpenter's Way, our church, is very passionate for the gospel and missions across the globe. And uh, we take a significant portion of our giving and we s immediately send it both local and globally for the spread of the gospel. And um, over the next month, uh, there's going to be two Sundays that are devoted, uh, even our preaching times to that. We're going to introduce you to our newest uh, missionary uh, that we support, that you support financially, Brian McReynolds. And uh, we'll give you a, a better introduction of him before the preaching time. Uh, he serves in Madagascar. Uh, on a small island, and he'll be sharing more about that. But uh, one of the things that we're doing this morning is, is when we have these missionaries, we take, uh, we are going during the 11 o'clock hour, if you're interested, he uh, will be here with his son, and they're going to answer any question you have about missions. Maybe you're interested in missions. Maybe you want to know what they do for a living. Maybe you want to know what they do all day. Uh, those are those we're gonna have an opportunity for you to ask questions because we want you invested not just financially which you are if you give but we want you invested emotionally and prayerfully and as we put them on the screen as we mention them to you we want you to know their names so it's a privilege to have him here the last Sunday in February is our mission emphasis Sunday and that Sunday we're gonna have at least three if not four missionary couples that we support across the globe it just worked out that they're gonna be here and we're gonna have a panel during our morning worship time, and it is going to be phenomenal. So uh, each of the other weeks, we'll have little vignettes or uh, videos from our missionaries sharing with you. Actually, they serve uh, with a lady named Rosina, who is a national of Madagascar, and we're going to be bringing a greeting from her next week uh, on, during our service. Uh, it'll be about, I think it's about seven minutes long or five minutes long, and so you'll be hearing more. You'll hear him, I'm sure, refer to Rosina, and so you'll, you, uh, or maybe not, but but uh, you'll be hearing more about her. We have been supporting her for years, right? We have for a long time. You remember Tori Alverson, Clay Nevet's daughter, went there and served for a few years, and, and that's how we got to know them. And Love and Care has a ministry in Madagascar. So this little island off of the African coast, uh, we have been heavily involved in. So uh, you're going to hear more about that this morning. Thanks for being here. Stay engaged. You're going you're gonna to love what you hear this morning and, and get to know somebody that we support. I want to mention that during the 11 o'clock hour, also I want to remind you, if you volunteer in our preschool and children's ministry, there is uh, a preschool ministry and volunteer training that is going to take place in the Connection Center uh, during our 11 o'clock hour. Is that right? I'm looking for Casey. That's right. That's right. Okay, so that's there. Uh, also, on Wednesday night, we're doing an eight-week series on... Um, we, we've changed our Wednesday nights, and I need to highlight this because Kip is leading this one right now. We've turned them into adult biblical discussions, our adult Bible study. And right now we're doing an eight-week series based upon uh, a Ravi Zacharias series. Uh, Kip shows about a 20-minute video, and then we spend about 45 minutes discussing it, looking at Scripture. How, do we, how are we supposed to react living in an evil world? And so we're very excited about that. We've had two weeks well attended. If you're interested... And uh, in that, join us Wednesday night at 6:30. And and um, anything else, Kip? I need to say on that, ladies, your Bible study, Jules, or the Bible, women's Bible study just started, and uh, you can still jump into one. There's three of them at different times. We want you involved, guys. Every every Tuesday morning at 6:30, we meet out there for coffee, time in the Word, and we're done by 7:10, so you can get back and help your wife or your kids get to school or get on to work. But uh, we want you involved. We want you building relationships with each other in the Lord. So that's uh, Daryl Douglas leads that one, and 
it's fantastic. We're going through Hebrews right now. So really, really a great time. I think uh, that does it for the announcements. If I'm not missing anything, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. And we will prepare uh, our hearts. This is part of our worship. If you visit, if you're visiting this morning, we ask that you not give. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. Um, and uh, again, out of this comes support for our mission work that we across uh, the globe. And um, let me commit our time to the Lord. Father, we love you, and and we're thankful that we're thankful we get to meet every week and see our friends and family and. Um, we're just thankful we get to hug on each other and pray for each other and lift each other up. And I'm thankful for Chad and his team that's going to lead us in worship as we, we pray in unison to music and we celebrate you in unison to music. And uh, we, really, we really are honored, Father, that you would choose people like us. And uh, we're aware, we're aware that there's a lot of people lost. Father, I, I, our world is, uh, even, even creation itself is reacting to, to the wickedness of, of our time and um, of sinfulness in the world. Father, I, I think of our uh, China right now, uh, this, this flu thing that's, that's uh, spreading. Um, Lord, use, desperate, use de times of desperation to draw people to yourself. We pray that you would protect your missionaries there and your people there. We pray that you would, uh, Father, protect the globe um, from illness. We know that as your return draws near, Scripture says that things like this will happen, earthquakes and but, Lord, uh, we just ask, Father, that you would give us uh, fervency as we hear the news to tell our neighbors and our friends about you. Um, Lord, I, there's a report that in India, uh, 200 uh, churches were burned down and, and many of our brothers and sisters were killed over the last 24 hours. Um, thank you that you are with them. We understand that persecution is part of our story, but we ask for your protection. And when you choose not to protect from our physical harm, we ask for your courage, for your, your sustaining of us. And um, Lord, I pray for Carpenter's Way that we wouldn't see ourselves as a small church in East Texas, but we would see ourselves as part of a big family whose father is God, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, who sees transformation as a work of God in our, in our lives and those around us. So thank you for Brian and his son being with us this morning. We pray you'd bless him. Uh, we pray for each person here in this room and watching by internet that you would bless them and that we would be challenged and drawn closer to you as a result of gathering together this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning again. Again, this is uh, Carpenter's Way. Um, I want to introduce you guys to someone. Um, this is Sayla. Say hello, Sayla. Hello, Sayla. Hi, Sayla. I thought I was going to embarrass her, so. Um, anyway, uh, she's uh, kind of going to be coming on board, and you guys are going to see her face more often. thought you might want to know what uh, the name of the person that's going to be up here more often. So anyway, you should see her kind of off and on. Anyway, I just kind of want to let you know her name. Um, as always, you guys are more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're more comfortable staying seated, you can do that too. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my Lord, I need you. 
defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more, your grace is found, is where you are, and where you are. Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ me. Lord, I need you. Temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. So teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He's my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. There you are. More than I imagine, 
standing here in front of me there you are words can't describe you I fall down before you there you are and there you are in all of your glory the heavenly host sing your praise and there you are you seated at the right hand with victory in your cries out holy oh god you are worthy of all the glory the honor and praise my heart cries out holy oh god you are worthy of all the glory the honor and praise
God, you are worthy of all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Not already standing, would you stand and sing this with us? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my
God, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of the fact that even we are faithless, Lord, you are faithful. God, we, uh, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you, you look upon us and somehow in your wisdom and sovereignty and knowledge, you declare us righteous and even in those moments when we don't feel like it. And we thank you. We praise you for allowing us to come back together this morning. We ask, Lord, you would open up our hearts to the words that you have for us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Uh, we are Clay and Yvette Alverson, and uh, we're here to introduce the McReynolds family to you this morning. Uh, about seven years ago, Tori, our youngest, uh, took a missionary position in Madagascar, and uh, through that, we met them. The very first time we met them was at the airport, or maybe it was at the missions headquarters in Atlanta. And uh, they had three little children at the time, <laughs> and my heart was just overcome knowing that they were about to go to this village with no electricity, no power, um, and commit their lives there uh, to the Lord. And seven years later, they are still there. Um, as part of the mission investment team, I want you to know that this is the, actually the very first month that we have started supporting them as Carpenter's Way. Um, Rosina was the, the national who lived there who kind of coordinated the team. And uh, we've been supporting her pretty much uh, since Tori went, I think, uh, through mission investment. Um, we were able to go while Tori was there, Clay and I were and spent 21 days, so we spent lots of times with the McReynolds. Um, and at that point, their church was in its, uh, still in its birthing stages. And so much has happened in that seven years. So um, after Brian uh, delivers the message this morning, we invite you to stay and maybe get some more details about what all has gone on, what God's been doing. Um, on that tiny island of Noosey Bay, is what it's called. Um, his wife, Rebe, is in Tennessee with their other three children. Camden's here. He's 16. And uh, their two girls, Myla and Keeley, and their little boy, Hudson, who was actually born in Madagascar, are in Tennessee. And she's expecting their fifth child, another girl, in June. So we're very excited about that. And we're just thrilled to see them and... Uh, just hear about what God's doing in their lives. So we appreciate you being here. Thank you. So my friend Alexi, he had, he had a problem. He'd been hearing uh, he'd been hearing these stories told by missionaries in his village, by Rosina and, and Tori and others, about how God had made everything good, but that something had gone horribly wrong in this good world, and eventually he learned that everyone has this inside them, this horrible wrong that had entered the world. But he'd also heard that God had a rescue plan, a way to restore the broken relationship between man and God, between man and creation, and that this was his son Jesus, who had lived as a man but with no wrong, and who died for all of those who would put their trust in him. But there was a problem, and here, here, here it was. These words, they started to penetrate his heart, and he was starting to ask questions and hearing a voice inside of him. And he was 
even making a profession of this faith early on. He was learning, but now his son was sick. He and his wife had eight children, and one of them had become very, very sick with a fever that's common uh, in our area and a fever that can kill and, and often does. And he didn't know what to do. Usually, he and his wife would go and visit a witch doctor, and the witch doctor would give them something, a feather, some sticks, chicken bones, something that had a power in them to overcome this sickness, to cancel out the curse, maybe to put that curse onto someone else in his village, and to receive a, a blessing. But this didn't go with what he had been hearing, these stories about God and Jesus. And so he, he asked the, the missionaries for advice. What, what should he do? Um, and they, they prayed for him. And they said, you should pray to God. You should, you should pray for this situation that you're in. But his family had a fadi. And if you translate that, it can be known as a taboo. Families in, in Madagascar, and especially the Sakalava people, which he was a part of, they have many of these taboos. Things that someone in a certain family absolutely cannot do. Or they'll be cursed, and they'll be cut off. And the, and the fadi that Alexei and his family had was that you can't pray. There's absolutely no point in time when you're allowed to pray to God. If you do that, you would be separated from your family, from your ancestors, from your entire world. What should he do? What advice should be given to him in that situation? Well, think about how much needs to be known in that situation. We're going to be talking about this a little bit using uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, but let me pray for us. Father, we just come to you now, um, opening up your word and asking that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would bring glory to you and that we would be able to hear you truly. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm guessing most of you have not, have not experienced a situation quite like this. But I would argue that whether or not you are speaking in another language to someone from a small island in Madagascar or whether you're talking to your neighbor down the street in Lufkin, we all have to be aware of the worldview of the people that we're engaging. In other words, you can't know where to begin with God's word, with, with his truth, until you know where that person is coming from. You see, God's word, God's word is, is like a, an amazingly beautiful diamond. And there's all kinds of facets on that diamond. It's all truth. It's all truth. But each facet reflects that truth in its own unique way. In other words, like, what does this person, what does this situation, this culture, need to hear of God's truth? We are living in a country that is becoming increasingly multicultural. Many of the people that live in our communities are not predominantly Christian or Judeo-Christian or come from that culture and background. Even within communities that are traditionally Christian, within communities that would consider themselves American or, in our context, Texan. I'm, I'm from Texas as well. I know I said it was, my wife's in Tennessee, but I'm a, a Texan 
born and raised. So people that would describe themselves as Christian, Texan, there are many like this who do not have a Christian worldview, who do not share these biblical truths that we've grown to know through our time in the Word. And so what does this mean for evangelism in Madagascar and increasingly here in Lufkin and around the country? Well, a few things. One, the person confronted with God's Word must abandon some of their fundamental positions that form the foundation of who they are, of their worldview. Let me put it in computer terms for just a minute. You can't just update the operating system. That doesn't work. There's files that are going to have to be deleted, uh, erased, modified, or even worse, a whole new operating system has to be loaded. Fundamental change has to happen. The gospel demands repentance and faith. And that always is hard and requires a change, requires a new heart. Indeed, it demands the regenerating, transforming work of the Spirit of God. But the less there is of a common, shared worldview between a Christian and a non-Christian, the more traumatic the transition, the more decisive the change, the more stuff has to be unlearned. Another thing is we have to start farther back. The gospel, who Jesus is, what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection is incoherent unless certain structures are already in place. You cannot make sense of the real Jesus unless you have certain categories. A transcendent God from the Bible. Human beings made in the image of that God the reality of rebellion against him, how that rebellion brought a curse to the world. Spiritual, personal, familial, social effects of that sin and rebellion. The nature of salvation, the holiness, the wrath, the love of God. You really can't make sense of the Bible's plot line without such basic ingredients. You can't make sense of the Bible's portrayal of, of Jesus without certain of these categories in place. We can't agree on the solution that Jesus provides unless we can agree on the problem he confronts. That is why our evangelism must take into account a person's worldview and background. And then thirdly, we must find ways into people's hearts, into their values, into the the cultural lenses that they wear without compromising the gospel. If there is no bridge into the other person's frame of reference, there will be no true understanding, no lasting change. Nevertheless, faithful worldview evangelism will sooner or later change or destroy some of that previous worldview. This is hard, very hard. So shouldn't we do all we can to present God's truths in a way that makes sense to the hearer? This is a reason why the Bible is translated into so many languages. The Bible, the Christian faith, the scriptures are unique to the, to the face of the world. The Bible is, is meant to be translated. It's written in more than one language. And it's, it's, it's meant to cons consistently be 
transformed into a culture because it requires a complete change. It's not something that can be just pasted on top of a culture. It's something that works from the inside out and changes the whole person. The Apostle Paul understood all of this. In particular, by his own example, he teaches us the difference between evangelizing those who largely share your biblical worldview and understanding and those who do not understand the Bible, have not had that background in their lives. We won't go there, but if you look in Acts 13, we read Paul's evangelistic address to the people in Pisidian Antioch. And Paul, as he normally does, when he enters a town, he goes where? To the synagogue. And he does this in Pisidian Antioch. And that setting ensures that his hearers are Jews or God-fearers, people that are thoroughly informed by their Bible, our Old Testament, thoroughly informed. Most of them have memorized large portions of the Scripture. In this context, Paul selectively narrates Old Testament history in order to prove that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. He quotes biblical texts. He reasons his way through them. He argues that the resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of biblical prophecies about the Holy One. From Jesus' resurrection, he argues back to his death and its significance. Ultimately, the forgiveness of sins and of justification before God. And Paul ends with a biblical passage warning against judgment if someone has unbelief or skepticism. So what we see in Acts 13 is Paul's evangelism among churchy folk, among people who know their Bible or who, people who come from this Christian worldview. People at a certain level know their, their history. In Acts 17, however, we find the Apostle Paul in a completely different situation. And I love how Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, selects these two sermons. It's kind of a model. I'm sure he repeated uh, both of these sermons in many different places that he went, and they were probably much longer than what uh, we see in Acts. But, but we get this picture of these two very different ways that Paul engages people with the gospel. So, in Acts 17, he's in Athens amongst people who are totally biblically illiterate. His approach here is remarkably different and has a lot to teach us as we attempt to engage with non-Christians, with post-Christians, uh, with friends and neighbors both here and abroad. Let me read um, from Acts 17. I'm going to start verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, 
what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with, these, with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So I want to look at this passage using three categories. The situation on the ground, setting the stage, and then the true gospel. So what is the situation on the ground? What's Paul's situation that he's in? Well, he's in Athens, which is a, a beautiful, ancient city. It's no longer the, the focal point of the empire. That's moved to Rome. But it's still a place where everyone who is someone in the world of learning, of academics, wants to be. There's huge impressive displays of the might of man, buildings, statues, things like that, and, and, and gods, statues of gods were everywhere. When the Romans would conquer a new people, they would god swap. They would take on some of the new uh, culture's gods, and they would require that that culture uh, take some of their gods. Why did they do this? Well, in times of conflict between cultures, if someone were to go to war, if there was a battle, no one would know which side a particular god was on because they've, they've done this swapping of gods. So it, it, in the Romans' mind, it promoted peace. So you just have gods from all these different country, cultures and places around the world. There were also various and competing worldviews, all 
biblically illiterate. This passage mentions two of the Epicureans. Uh, for them, the gods were far removed from reality, from the day-to-day -day mundane life. And humans should strive to be that way as well. That was their view. The Stoics, they thought God was everywhere, kind of in everything, pantheistic God. And human beings should strive to tap into that, that world using logic and reason. Why, why is Paul there? Well, he's waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy. He had been basically run out of town in Thessalonica and Berea, and he had people transport him to Athens where he could be safe, and Silas and Timothy were going to come and meet him. So he's just in Athens, biding his time, learning about the culture. And they're not exactly thrilled to hear what he has to say at first. Uh, verse in verse 18, they call him a, a babbler, which literally means a seed picker. It's like this picture of a little bird picking up various scraps of information and, and throwing them back out. That's Paul's situation on the ground. For us in Nusi Bay, our, our situation on the ground, the, the dominant worldview of the Sakalava is, is one of fear. Fear is just pervasive where we live in our little corner of Madagascar. The Sakalava have fear, fear of being cursed by your ancestors and doing whatever possible, whatever way you can manipulate the spiritual world to receive a blessing and not a curse. Fear of not having enough. According to the World Bank, Madagascar is now the poorest country in the world on percentage of people who live below the poverty line. So this fear of not having enough food, of not having a job, of not having a house real fears. Then there's fear of a, a bad fishing season, fear of a bad rice growing season, fear of, of, of sickness and death of, of livestock. And then there's fear of all of these fadis, these taboos, these things that you cannot do, that you cannot go near, that you cannot eat. And most importantly, this fear of the spiritual world, of every sacred tree and rock, every bad omen and sign, fear of the ancestors, fear of, of what's coming next. What about your neighbors, your friends at school, that person that the Holy Spirit keeps putting in front of you? What's their situation on the ground? What's their context that they're in? So that's the first thing. The second thing is we're going to look at Paul, how he sets the stage for the gospel which is important to people who do not know the Bible. So what's Paul's response as he strolls through Athens? Is he intimidated by the architecture? Is he timid at being the intellectual capital of the world? Look at verse 16. It says, while he was waiting for them, for Silas and Timothy, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. He's heartbroken at the idolatry that he sees. So what does he do? He sets out to evangelize. And like he always does, he starts with the Jews in the synagogue, with the, the culture that is most closely tied to Jesus and the Christian faith. But events bring him to the Areopagus, to Mars Hill, to the, the palace, the temple 
of learning in the world, a place where people from all the various worldviews would come to teach and preach. So Paul, with his time in Athens, his priorities are analyzing the culture from his Christian worldview and then evangelizing both Christian and non-Christian, both people with and without biblical knowledge. So now let's look closer at his famous sermon, his speech at the Areopagus. It's in specifically verses 22 through 31. First, Paul uses what he has learned already from the Athenians and their culture to build a bridge to the truth of God's word and worldview. Verses 21 through 24, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. We don't know how long he was there waiting for Silas and Timothy, but we know it was long enough for him to think deeply about the culture that he was in and at the same time being able to think about how to connect that to the gospel. He's taking something from their own culture to begin his, his speech, to begin his sermon. And he also has to go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, the creation. He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord and of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he he goes back to the beginning of the story, the big picture, the, the meta-narrative, the, the fourfold theme of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Our first year in, in, in uh, Madagascar, and Tori was with us at that time, we were part of a team going into this area where no one knew the Bible. The Sakalava people that we were living with are they're unchurched. They're unreached. That means that less than 2% of them are Protestant. So for the first year, Tori and our family and the others on our team, we, we didn't really do any teaching. We did a lot of learning, learning how to, to live simply, uh, learning about the Sakalava worldview and culture, learning as much as we could. We never even actually mentioned the, the word God um, for a long, long, for many months. And it was during this time that my family and our village, we lived about a two-hour walk, or no, an hour or so walk from, from Tori. We made friends with some musicians, these five guys that were a part of our village, and we would see them uh, playing guitars and, and traditional drums and different things and singing. They actually were part of this welcome party that the village gave to us when we first arrived. And uh, my wife had her guitar with her. She was learning to play and, and, and uh, increasing her knowledge in the guitar. And so we invited these guys over to sit on our porch and hang out with us. We had a small house, but kind of a, a large, nice porch under the shade of a mango tree. And we spent many, many days with these guys. And they were in their mid-20s, young guys, hard-living guys. Some of them were married. Some of them had children. 
without being married, lots of heavy drinking, drugs, hard, hard living guys. And, and we, we just sat with them on our porch and, and hung out with them. Really, we didn't know their language and they didn't know our language. So most of our conversation was through body movement, through music, really. And at that time, our whole team was learning a, a verse from Daniel 3 about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down uh, and worship any other god but their own. And we had translated that into the Sakalava language. There was no, there's no Sakalava Bible. And uh, we were learning it as a team, and Ruby and I were sitting on our porch saying this verse back and forth, and then we were like, hey, would you guys, you know, as best I can, our broken Sakalava, would you guys put this piece of scripture from our Bible to music? be easier for us to learn. And they were like, sure, yeah, yeah. And it just took them like an, an hour. They went up in our son's treehouse and worked on this song for an hour and came back down. And at that time, my wife had these really long dreadlocks. She'd had them for like 10 years. And uh, they just assumed that we loved reggae music. <laughs> and uh, and, and we, we did. I mean, every anyone that lives on a tropical island, whether it's in Africa or in the Caribbean, they know Bob Marley. And so they just, you know, they, they knew a lot of Bob Marley songs. And so they put this verse to Daniel 3 in this very slow, uh, mellow reggae tune. And they were like, here it is. And we were like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I mean, it didn't sound a lot like their music, but it was definitely a cool reggae beat that they had given to it. And so we had this, this piece of scripture in the Sakalava language set to music, and that was like such a God thing. I mean, our team, like, collectively, this light bulb went off, and we had been translating the Bible, uh, specifically Rosina and a couple of other Malagasy people were translating uh, Matthew and, and Ephesians and Acts and portions of the, of the Old Testament into Sakalava, and we, um, we said, hey, we need to put some of this to music. And so that's kind of the beginning of our, our music ministry, and I'll, I'll tell more about that after the service, but one thing that we did right away was we, we made these story songs, these 10, 12-minute long songs, and what they did was they told the big picture story. We made a creation song, and it's really just Genesis 1 uh, to 2, 3, the whole story of creation, the seven days. There's, you know, seven verses about each day and a refrain between each one and, and it was amazing and they, they loved it and everyone loved it and the radio station loved it. They would play it, this 10-minute song they would play on the radio. It was amazing. And, and then they made a, a you know, story of sin and, and the fall um, and then we eventually made a story of redemption um, through Christ's life and his teachings and his death and resurrection. And so that was important to our team to, to give them this big picture, creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and restoration of all things. To give them this big picture so that they can know what the gospel truly is. Music was very important to them, and so putting that to music made a huge difference in our team's ministry. So after Paul introduces this bridge to the gospel and, and gives them the big picture, he, he also introduces a problem. If you look at verse 27, he says, after talking about God, he says that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. 
Some translations say grope. It's kind of this, this picture of, of these blind men trying to find their way back to God. And uh, it mirrors some of the things Paul says in Romans 1. Paul is teaching here, he's introducing sin without using the word sin. Now, why is he doing that? Because they don't know that word. They don't understand the category of sin against God, of rebellion against God, so he's using language uh, that they understand. And then this is amazing in verse 28. Paul quotes from two different pagan Greek writers. He says, from two different uh, poets, in him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. He's using this literature that is known to the Athenians to speak God's truth. And this is such a, there's such a striking difference between this and how Paul speaks to the Jews in the synagogue, like in Acts 13. Completely different. No, no Old Testament, no quoting of Scripture, no talking about the Messiah. No, he's using their language, their culture, their writers. Why? Because he's building a bridge between worldviews, between pagan and Christian. Let me give you an example from, from Nusi Bay. So, in, in the Sakalava culture, family means everything. And that doesn't end in death. You're not just connected to your family in life. It extends to death with your ancestors. And death is a very different thing. It's hard for uh, someone from the West to understand. When someone dies, they're just, they're just kind of passing through an open door into a different part of life. And so while trying to make a connection on our team between what Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 about how he was going to his father's house and he was going to prepare a place for his disciples so that they could be, become his family. Well, the question for the Sakalava is why? How could that be possible? In Sakalava, the word for family is havanga, but it's not really a, a, a correct, true uh, translation because havanga means so much more than than family. It has so much weight to it. A sakal of a person's whole identity is wrapped up in their havanga. You know, us Americans, especially Texans, we are independent, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get on with it. We can do it on our own. You know, that's, that's, our, that's our background. That's the people that, um, you know, raised us and uh, gave us life. That's how they lived their lives. Pioneers of the West. It's completely different for the Sakalava. Havanga is everything. And, and so how can someone who's not part of a Havanga become part of it? Well, there's really only one way, and that's through a ritual called Fatidra. And uh, Fatidra is this, okay, first of all, have any, any of you, especially guys uh, when you were kids, do like a, a blood brother thing? Anybody? Yeah, like were you, yeah, you, okay, so... The Sakalava have that, but it's serious, man. It's a completely different level of soberness and seriousness. And so, for someone to be grafted into a family, blood has to be shed by that person and the person representing the family. And it has to be exchanged. And there has to be witnesses. And so, our team, after, you know, a long time, we're starting to understand this. And, uh, so we were able to speak to them about 
how Jesus, through his death, through his spilling of blood on the cross, did not require our blood to be spilled. His blood was enough for the fatidra ritual. His blood was enough to bring, to graft us in to God's family. And so we used that example from their culture to build a bridge to the truth of the gospel. Paul also, at the very end, he expands his thoughts on sin. He gives a little more, uh, more of a picture of sin. In, in verse 29, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So he's talking more about sin, but again, he's not using that word. And then finally, we get to the true gospel that Paul presents. Once again, remember, the gospel, the, the Bible, it's, it's a diamond. It's a multifaceted, amazing picture of truth. And each facet has its own way of reflecting that truth. Which truth do the Athenians need to hear? And once again, it's so important that he's already established this big picture from which to place properly the gospel. You know, otherwise, the the gospel can just be a story that sounds nice to people, but they, they don't truly understand it. Everyone loves stories. Non-Christians love stories. Post-Christians love stories. But does the gospel story have a proper place in the hearer's understanding? Just a quick example. You know, you could be saying to someone who's going through a real time of, of suffering, Jesus understands what you're going through. You know, that's just a, th a thing we, I've said that before to someone. But what does that mean to the person you say it to? Is it rooted in the understanding of a loving God that made an amazing plan to rescue his children from the despair of sin by sending his only son to take their place by enduring suffering and hardships that few ever come close to? Is Jesus understands what you're going through rooted in all of that? Because if it's not, then Jesus understands may just become a tool that the devil can use to lead them farther away from Christ. For Paul's audience, for the Athenians, the gospel that he presents is about repentance and about an understanding that God has sent a person to judge and we can be sure about that because he raised him from the dead. They needed to hear resurrection gospel which was a huge stumbling block to the learned Athenians. What about the Sakalava, where we are in, in Nusi Bay? Well, they, they don't have a problem with resurrection. That, that's not a, a, I've never had a conversation with a Sakalava brother or sister where they're questioning the resurrection. That's, that's an easy thing for them to understand, given their worldview. Um, through years of getting to know them, we found out that the, the, they need to hear that Jesus is the only way to God, not their ancestors. Their ancestors cannot be the intermediary between them and God. It's Jesus and only Jesus. There's only one way. We have a song, Sakalava song, just specifically about that. One way. He's the way. They also need to hear Jesus' words from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
Come to me, all of you who have all these fears that paralyze you, that keep you from, from living a life honoring to God. Come to me. That's what they need to hear. That's the gospel. That's the facet of the diamond that they need to hear. What about your neighbors and friends? Paul, here in Acts 17, he gives us a blueprint for how to communicate with people unfamiliar with the Bible, unfamiliar with the biblical worldview. Brothers and sisters, his word does not come back void. Today in Nusi Bay, there's so many amazing things going on. There's, we have two church plants that are growing consistently. Uh, leaders in those churches are being trained. We've recently installed an elder in each church after going through some biblical training in the capital. The music ministry continues to grow. We have over 25 Sakalava worship songs, many of them straight from Scripture. Some of the, as far as we know, the only, first and only Christian worship music in the Sakalava language. We have a ministry in our village called Mama Vovo, which means the mother of something new. And, and several women in the village and my wife have, have taken the skill that these women have of sewing and turned it into this beautiful business where they sell bags and tea towels and works of art to tourists who come to our island. And that ministry specifically addresses issues of the exploitation of women on our island and also poverty. And then we've begun training Malagasy missionaries. We've, begun, we've become a hub for churches all over Madagascar to send people from their congregation who have a desire to be a missionary, and we train them. We give them practical, on-the-ground experience, and we take them through a curriculum where they can be trained to be a missionary, and then we send them out into places that you cannot believe how difficult it is to live there. But they go, and they go with the love of the gospel. All this stuff is going on and more, but all of it has come about because the Sakalava have heard God's word in their own language and presented in a way that makes sense to them. The presentation of the gospel truth, it must be rooted in understanding of the hearer. And that's best done through relationship. And Paul knew this. That's why he stayed in so many of the places uh, that he went through. And when he left, he often left behind disciples to continue that relationship, to continue building up the church body, to continue preaching and teaching the gospel in a way that they can understand. And I just want to close with Paul's words in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So this is the, the same place where he was kicked out uh, and had to go to Athens to wait for his disciples to catch up to him. And he ends up later writing this about them and about his time with them. In verse 8, he says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Brothers and sisters, may we all be able to say the same thing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for who you are, for what you've done for us, for how you've made yourself known to us through your creation, but more importantly, through your Son, Jesus Christ, the, 
the most full way we can know you is through him and his life and death and resurrection. I thank you for your word and what it has to teach us and uh, change us from the inside out, completely change who we are, change our worldview. And we ask that you would help us to be your tools uh, to be that change in other people's hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't... I don't know if you're aware, but what Brian just did was gave you a class on missiology. Some of us spent a lot of money to go into that class. <laughs> it was fantastic. He said three things. See the situation on the ground, prepare the ground for the gospel, and present the gospel within a culture by building bridge between worldviews through relationships. And that's what Paul did. That's what Brian and his family and African Inland Mission is doing, and that's what we can do. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I just, thought, I just think it's really interesting for those of us in America because I think Satan has got us in a bubble where we think, oh, there's no culture here. Culture is what you hear when Africans dance or people from the Orient perform their trades. Or, but, you know, the reason we don't see ourselves in a culture is because it's our culture. Uh, but Peter encouraged us to understand the times in which we lived and own and be clear thinking and own our real citizenship. And as we go around East Texas and do our thing, whether it's eating chicken fried steak or meeting with our neighbors or whatever it is we do, it's really important that we understand that every one of those are avenues for the gospel. Because I would say that although it would be hard to define East Texans as unreached people groups, I would say that they're biblically unreached. There are people who think they know what the gospel is, think they know who Jesus is, and they don't. They, they know a semblance of him or an idea about him, and that makes it more difficult. And so it's really important that as we go about, as you leave church today, there's a sign that's been up there since uh, for 13 years, and it says you are now entering your mission field. Whether you're a high school student, whether you're in college or a professor or a doctor, that's your mission field out there. And the same techniques that Paul used, the same techniques that they're using in Madagascar, are the same exact techniques we need to use for the gospel here. Because Jesus didn't take you home the moment you got saved. He kept you within your mission field. And uh, you were, you, we were schooled this morning on how to reach people for Jesus, and that is, is a beautiful thing. We are not here to make sure that, you're, that our president of choice is president in this country. Vote, do your thing. Uh, we even are doing voter election. If you, if you haven't, if, if you're not, uh, if you've moved recently and you haven't uh, signed up to vote, you need to vote, but you got to remember that when, when politics is done, the gospel still needs to be presented. More important than making sure we have the right people in office is making sure that people have been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? So just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. All right, so here's what's going to happen right now. Some of you who work in the preschool ministry or maybe interested in doing that are going to make your way now over to the Connection Center because there's a training. Uh, some of you are going to be going to your Bible study classes, but uh, y'all are invited uh, if you would like to stay in here and you'll get, you can ask uh, Brian questions or even a 16-year-old son who is hoping you'll ask him lots of questions. <laughs> he came saying, I am ready to answer. He's like, why do they pick on me? Because you're a missionary kid and it's part of the deal. So, uh, but uh, uh, anyway, we're going to wrap up here in about 10 minutes. We're going to come back in and if you'd like to join us, get a cup of coffee, make your way to your Bible study classes. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you. Coming. Thank you.